Today we're focusing on how God's loving kindness demands a response of generosity and service from his people. On the first Palm Sunday, as Jesus is parading into Jerusalem on a donkey, there are shouts of praise and adoration from an entire crowd of people. And from the crowd, some Pharisees demand that Jesus rebuke the rest of the crowd for their behavior. And Jesus' response was powerful. He says, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need us or our resources to accomplish his ends. If we don't do it, he'll raise up someone else. And if they don't do it, the rocks will get to work praising him and fulfilling his purposes in the world. God is worthy of our praise. God's mission is worthy of our investment in terms of our intention, in terms of our time, in terms of our talents, and yes, in terms of our money. God doesn't need us, but God has been outrageously generous with us. And the only proper response is to praise him extravagantly and serve him exclusively. My prayer is that today's sermon will be an invitation to you and to all who are listening, an invitation to experience the goodness of God, and an invitation to become more like this God who has been so, so good to his children. Let's pray. Eternal Heavenly Father, you who have given us life and have given us new birth by your Son, Jesus Christ, we humbly ask that you would reveal yourself to us through the words of your Scripture and through its proclamation this morning, that we might respond in faith to the goodness of your blessing. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. As we look at this story from Genesis 14, it's important that you know what's going on. Abraham, uh, this, this story happens early in Abraham's story. He's already been called by God to leave the land of his forefathers and to go to a land that God will show him. Uh, he left, he went with his nephew Lot and other family members. He and Lot have split up to live in separate places because the land couldn't sustain all of their livestock. Uh, there's been a famine, and Abraham and Sarah have gone south uh, to Egypt to survive the famine. They've come back, and while Abraham is living in Canaan, um, there's a war that breaks out. There's a war between uh, King Chedorlaomer and three other kings against the king of Sodom and four other kings fighting with him. And Chedorlaomer has won all of uh, the battle and uh, plundered all of the property of Sodom, including taking Lot and Lot's resources with him uh, into captivity. So Abraham, once he hears about this, rallies up all of his allies. They chase down King Chedorlaomer, uh, and they uh, win back all of Lot's goods and the rest of Sodom's goods, and bring Lot back as well. And when... Uh, when Abraham is returning these things to the king of Sodom, they arrange a meeting. And uh, randomly at this meeting, there is another king there, King Melchizedek, king, the king of Salem. So let's hear about his story as we read today. We'll start in verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. 
He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him, Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours so that you might not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anair, Eshkol, and Mamer. Let them take their share. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll read the first four verses of chapter 6. We'll read a couple verses from Matthew 25. Beware of practicing your piety before others, in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And the Father, your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. In Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. This too is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story about Abraham and Melchizedek is odd. It's really odd. This man shows up with no context. I told you there's a lot of other things that are going on in the story. There are a lot of other people named. But Melchizedek gets no introduction. He gets no follow-up after this. He just disappears into the ether. We never read of him again. King Melchizedek, the king of Salem, is all that we get. There's this meeting that's been arranged between Abram and the king of Sodom to return these resources and people to the king of Sodom, and randomly Melchizedek is there. And he just disappears after this from the biblical record, apart from some mentions in the Psalms about what a curiosity he is, and in Hebrews about how he's a type of Christ, but we get nothing else of his story. We don't know anything about him, who his family was. He's named as a king, the king of Salem, but we don't get any sense that he actually has subjects that he rules over or an army that he controls. His name and his role is all we get. King Melchizedek, which means the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, Salem meaning peace and probably referencing to the city Jerusalem, and He is a priest of the Most High God. 
Now, this is a rare thing. These are different roles as much as president and pastor are different in our world. You wouldn't have expected these roles to be combined, a king and a priest, together. Not even David is a priest. He is simply a king. But Melchizedek is both a priest and a king, and he just shows up to give a blessing to Abraham and to offer him bread and wine. This king of righteousness, this king of peace, this priest of the Most High God. Long before the priesthood of Aaron was established for the Hebrew people, this man acts as a priest to Abraham. There's no lineage that he inherits it from somewhere, someone else as a part of his family role. He's just a priest and a king. We get his name and nothing else. Usually, Scripture is in such a hurry to tell the story, it only gives us the names of major characters. As an example, we don't even know what Lot's wife's name was, and she plays a pretty major role getting turned into a pillar of salt after she she turns back to look at the destruction of her city. We only know her as Lot's wife. But for Melchizedek, we get his name and just a very few verses. The fact that we have his name means that he's a big deal. Melchizedek comes and he serves Abram and the king of Sodom bread and wine, and then he blesses Abram in the presence of the king of Sodom. Notably, he doesn't bless the king of Sodom in a parallel way. And then Abram gives 10% of everything that he has won in battle to Melchizedek after the blessing. And then he gives everything else back to the king of Sodom, except for the share of the men who went into battle with him. He doesn't want to be beholden to the king of Sodom. He doesn't want anyone to say that Sodom's generosity is what has made Abraham wealthy. He wants to depend entirely on the goodness of the Lord. He knows that Sodom is a wicked city, and he wants to depend entirely on God. And the blessing of the Lord was enough for Abraham, Abram at this point in the story. And he gives in response to God's blessing. Blessed by Abram, Abraham, Abram was blessed by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And then Melchizedek says, And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Blessed be Abram, And blessed be God. So as we look at the whole story, there's been four movements. God has blessed Abram with victory. Melchizedek has spoken blessing over Abraham in in addition to God's deeds of power. And then he speaks Abram's blessing to the Lord, interceding for Abram to the Lord. And then Abram gives blessings to the Lord indeed. God blesses indeed, and then Melchizedek speaks the words. Melchizedek speaks the words, and Abraham blesses indeed. God acts first. God always acts first. And anything that we as humans do in faith and fidelity and righteousness and peace towards God is a response to God's character and activity moving first in us. We act in faith, it is always a response to God's loving kindness. Our faithfulness begins as rooted in God's faithfulness. 
Righteousness is not something that we discover or attain on our own. God blesses Abram indeed and through the words of the priest. And through the words of the priest, Abraham blesses God and and then gives a tithe to the Lord. God acts first. Abram responds. And it is all a gift from the Lord and becomes a gift also to the Lord. Abram's not being generous for show. He's not bragging about it to others. He's giving to the Lord what he believes is rightfully God's. This isn't the first time that Abram's been blessed. God started his relationship with Abram with a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram is blessed so that he can be a blessing. In the church, we're often inclined to speak of original sin. And this is an important doctrine that all of us are born into sin. As children of Adam, we have followed in the ways of our our father Adam and our mother Eve. And we're prone to sin continually. But there is another thing that it's important for us to hold, and that's that even before we sinned, God made the world and it was good. And every time we enter into relationship with God, every time anyone enters into relationship with God, it starts with God's blessing, God's self-revelation, God's gift of himself and his good things to us. Abram is blessed so that he can be a blessing. So what does that have to do with worship? As we've talked through worship, these movements of worship, what it means for us to gather together in the name of God, what it means for us to hear the word of God proclaimed, and now as we look at what it means for us to respond, last week we talked about offering a response of faith, that is to speak the true things about the God who has blessed us. This week... We talk about how we respond by offering our service to the Lord, our gifts to the Lord indeed. Part of our gathering time each week is spent sharing the ways that we have seen the light of Christ at work in the world. This is us acknowledging the blessings that God has poured out over God's people. And then we hear a word from the Lord, which itself is a blessing, and then we respond with faith with words of blessing towards God and praise. And then we respond with offering ourselves and our gifts to God. Our praise, our financial gifts, our talents, all that we have and all that we are, we give to the Lord. There is a financial component to this. Abram gives a tenth, not of what he keeps, by the way, but, but of what he has earned by the Lord's help. He doesn't actually keep any of it. He gives the rest of it to the king of Sodom so he can redistribute it to the people who lost it after the battle. He returns it to those who originally possessed it because he is concerned about them and concerned about being beholden to the king of Sodom. And part of our faithfulness in response to God's blessing that always comes first is to return a portion of his faithfulness to us. None of it was ours apart from the Lord anyway. And I don't like to preach about money. And it's not that I don't like to preach about money because people in the congregation like you get uncomfortable. It's that it can seem self-motivated. 
especially if we're having trouble paying, uh, making the budget which pays my salary as part of the budget. So through the pandemic, we've tried to remind you of the ways that you can give, but we've been conscious, we've made a conscious decision not to beg or plead for money. Partly because we didn't know how the families in our church would be impacted by the pandemic, how many people would lose their jobs, how many people's businesses would have revenue that fell off. And we didn't want to impose our needs on the midst of others in need. And you know what happened? God has blessed us. Through generous gifts from so many people, our finances are stronger than they've been in years. Despite not being able to meet for a few months, despite not passing the plates on Sunday morning, God has blessed the church through your gifts. And your ongoing generosity makes it possible for our church to be a blessing to others as we live into our vision to share the love of Christ through study and through worship and through service to introduce people to Jesus and to help them grow in grace, to make disciples of Jesus for the transformation of the world. And there might be a temptation to say, well, the budget looks good, we're meeting our expenses, maybe we don't need to give as much. But the truth is that there's a lot more that the church can do. A lot that we've had on hold. And the invitation is to give, not just today, but as a part of your life and budget and existence as a disciple of Jesus because of God's blessing and goodness to you and not rooted in anything else, just to give because God has given faithfully to you. I'm glad that we're in a position that I can ask for that today, challenge you and prompt you towards that today. And when you give, I hope that you know, as Jesus talks about in Matthew, that you do it as a part of your relationship with God. Not so that other people will see you and think that you are righteous or good or generous. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't sound the trumpets. Don't draw attention to yourself. God has acted first. God has blessed you. Let his blessing become a blessing to others beyond yourself. There is a strain of Christianity that will ask you to do it in reverse, to give so that you can receive a blessing. But God has acted first, inviting you into his goodness and his grace when you had nothing to offer but your broken humanity. And he has healed you and he has given you new life and he has blessed you with the things that you need And with the church, enough that if we're generous with one another, we will all be provided for. God has acted first. God has blessed you. Let his blessing become a blessing to others beyond yourself. Not so that you can gain the esteem of people so they'll like you, but so that you can enter into deeper, richer relationship with the Lord who is constantly speaking and calling and giving to you, the one who holds your real treasure in heaven, the one whose real rewards come not with goods or pleasure of this world, but in the grand offering of eternal life in the world to come. Respond to God's grace by pursuing that. And we shouldn't think that it is enough just to give generously to the Lord by giving to the church. That if we just make sure our check gets in, everything else is okay. Jesus says that 
the Pharisees, they, they tithed all of, all of the stuff they were supposed to tithe. They sent in their spices and everything else, a tenth of all of it exactingly perfect in their legalism. But they neglected the weightier matters of the law, the ones that couldn't be measured in a budget slip where they made sure to give 10%. Abram wouldn't take the spoils for himself, but he did not deny them to the men who fought with him. He was concerned about what they needed. And Jesus is not satisfied only with our tithes. He doesn't say that we should neglect that. In fact, he says the opposite. He says that we should do those things, but be even more concerned about mercy and justice and faith. He is concerned about whether or not we give generously to the Lord. But he's concerned even more about what he calls the the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. Are you concerned that the world is acting in a way that doesn't rob people of what they deserve? Are you concerned about the world operating with compassion towards those for whom the world has been a difficult place? Are you concerned with telling others of the gospel of Jesus that you could share your faith that has been such a blessing to you with them? In all of this, Jesus says that they've been so focused on straining out a gnat, getting the one tiny impurity out that they've overlooked the bigger picture. There's a camel waiting for them as they're focused on the gnat. Are you, even as you give generously, concerned about matters of justice, about matters of mercy, about matters of faith? Because when God blesses, He blesses in deed and in word. When we worship, we acknowledge the light of Christ. We hear scripture proclaimed. The gospel is good news. It is a word of blessing to us. And then we respond in words of faith and praise and thanksgiving. And then we offer ourselves. We offer our gifts. We offer our talents. We offer our time. We offer our witness in blessing the Lord and the whole world on behalf of the Lord. When we started this series on worship, I told you that worship is not primarily about you. Worship is primarily about God. And when we get to the portion of worship where we offer our tithes and our gifts and our talents to God, this is the reminder for us that worship is not something that we have come in to consume, that we're not just here to receive a blessing from God. We're here to offer ourselves to God, all that we have and all that we are, because our stuff and we ourselves are gifts from God in the first place. We, like Abram, are blessed to be a blessing. So I wonder how God is calling you to respond to his grace today. How is God calling you to respond to his generous blessings that he has poured out over you? How is God calling you to be generous towards him and towards his church, which is his body, and seeking to carry out his mission in the world? And how is God calling you to be generous with the even even weightier matters of justice, of mercy, of faith? Is your life characterized by working against injustice? We talked last week about how in baptism we promise to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves.
Are you living into that as a part of your response to God's faithfulness in saving you through the waters of baptism? Are you eager to offer compassion to those who've been bruised and broken by the world or the circumstances of life? Are you eager to share your faith, which gives you perspective not only about this world, but the value of all of eternity? How are you using the gifts that God has given to you? As God calls you, it might look like dramatic action, and it might look like simple things. It might mean reaching out to people who are isolated in the midst of this pandemic, making sure that they have companionship as they are alone, making sure that they have the resources that they need as they can't get out and about. It might look like jumping in to help the youth with the rummage sale this week or giving to their cause or the weightier matter of investing in our youth on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights just by showing up and being present to them and reminding them that the adults of our church think that their faith is worth their time. And it might be more dramatic. It might be a lifelong calling that God is putting on your life to preach, to teach, to lead in the church, to serve as a missionary locally or internationally, to invest in the discipling of other Christians over the long haul, to be an evangelist of the gospel every day as you are at work and at play, to learn new skills. Your church and your pastor needs people who God is making excited about videography and photography and editing or to help think through communications as we try to make sure that in this time and all times we can be connected to our people and they can know what's going on in the church. Whatever it is, God is calling you to utilize not just your money, though that for sure, to serve the Lord. Maybe God's calling you to lead in the worship life of the church, to sing, to read scripture, to usher, to serve communion. Maybe God is calling you to use the gifts he has given you in praise to him and in service to the church and the world. So I ask you to wrestle with today. How is God calling you to respond? How is God calling you to offer your wealth and your talents and your time and your witness to serve him to bless him, and to let the blessings from him be a blessing to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you for the blessing that you are to us, that you held nothing back, that you offered your all, your life, your breath, your blood to save us and to bring us into communion with you that your kingdom is the treasure buried in a field that we would sell everything else to attain, and you have given it to us free of charge. We pray, Lord, as we seek to live in your kingdom, that we could do so as those who are generous, as God has been generous with us, who are eager to give, not for the sake of our own reputation or for the sake of marking off in a ledger that we have given what we are supposed to give, but in the act of service to you and to your people. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied simply with offering our finances, but that you would make it clear how we can use our lives, our talents, all of our gifts in service to you and your kingdom. Make it clear, O oh Lord, how we can serve you 
and your people and the whole world, we beg. Amen. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. All scripture readings come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. If you'd like to give to our church or support our ministries, you can do so at moorememorialumc.com by mailing a check to P.O. Box 467 in Winona. We'd be thrilled to have you worship with us any Sunday morning. We worship at 9 and 11 and are continuing to take precautions to keep people as safe as possible from the coronavirus. If we can pray for you or celebrate with you what God is doing in your life, please let us know in the church office. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.